I'm John Carter in Moscow. I'm now in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. I'm John Carter in Petra, reporting from India. In Colombia. I'm John Carter. Today on the Carter Report, we have the man who is called the Adventist Maverick. He's a historian, a philosopher, a university professor, and a theologian. His 50 books have influenced millions. His name is George Knight. Hello, friend. I'm John Carter. Welcome today to The Carter Report. We have with us today a terrific guest, Dr. George Knight. Dr. George Knight has been called, in this book at least, and on other occasions, an Adventist maverick. Like any good uh, leader, uh, Dr. George is a thinker and uh, can be quite provocative. Uh, he's not a yes man and he doesn't go with the crowd. And today we're going to talk about some amazing things. We're going to talk about the mission of the church, uh, the nature of the church and where the church is going. So, my friends, welcome today to the Carter Report. Time. It takes only a minute to have eternal life. How can you get saved in a minute? It's simple. First, believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Second, accept his free gift of eternal life. And then, you're saved. It's not hard. It doesn't take any time. You can be saved in a minute right now. Pray with me. Lord God, I realize that I am a sinner. My sin has separated me from you. I accept that your Son, Jesus Christ, died for me. I ask Jesus into my heart. If you prayed this prayer, you are saved. The next thing to do is tell someone, fellowship with other followers of Jesus, get baptized, read your Bible and pray. Choices, we make them every day, all day. The most important choice you will make in your life is whether to choose eternal life or let it pass you by. If you'd like more information about your new life, call the number and visit our website. Uh, Dr. Knight, we're honored to have you with us here today at the Carter Report. It's my pleasure to be here. And it's, uh, we feel privileged to have you with us. Uh, tell me this, why do some people call you, apparently the, um, the authors of this book, <laughs> why do some people call you a maverick? Oh, I'm not sure because I don't see myself that way, but I'll, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I, I, I suppose it's because I don't belong to any club. Uh, when I became a Christian, I decided that I would follow the biblical evidence wherever it went, and I would do my best to teach it, both publicly and privately, um, for what it said. And so uh, I'd imagine you would believe in the Protestant principle of sola scriptura. Yes, I do. Of course, with that, you know, we know that that's not all the knowledge we have, but yes. it, the, the Scripture provides the framework mm -hmm. for all of our knowledges. And, of course, we engage it with our mind, and so sola scriptura, uh, probably prima scriptura, is yes. a little more accurate. How did you become a, a Christian? Have you always been a Christian? Well, no. I was raised as an agnostic. I like to tell people I never had enough faith to be an atheist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, take I mean, just think about it, John. Yeah. I mean, they tried to teach me in high school that all this stuff just came from nothing by yeah. accident. Yeah. You know, 
takes a lot uh, of faith. E even though I was raised agnostic, I wasn't stupid. So I just said agnostic. Uh, and gnosis, gnostic, means knowledge. An A before it means uh, lack of, no knowledge. So I'm just happy to, and, and, and I couldn't be a Christian because my dad said that uh, all Christians are hypocrites. So I was just nothing. So how did you become a Christian? Well, most of my trouble when I was young all started out with ladies. And I met a lady who was a Christian. And she wanted me to go to church with her. Well, you know, I wanted to be with her. I was living on a ship at the time, studying to be a merchant marine officer. I was one of the government merchant marine academies. And uh, I went home on leave and I met this young lady. And unlike most of them, she was a churchgoer. So I said, sure, I'll go with you. And then, then I had to find out that she went on the wrong day. I mean, she went on Saturday. Uh -huh. And so I went on Saturday when the next time I was on leave. And, uh, and that's uh, pretty much how I got, got started. How did she get you started or going to church? What was that experience like? Well, it was interesting. Uh, I wasn't quite sure about these people. For one thing, they didn't have a church building at the time, and they were happened to be meeting in my dance hall, which uh, didn't set too well. That with should have me. made you feel good, though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I, I started to go, and and uh, several strange things happened. I, I remember once uh, at at, uh, at the time, and, and we were teenagers, late teens, and. Uh, this lady came around, and this was during the Sabbath school, and she pointed to each one of the young people, and she said, you better lay awake at night and remember every sin that you've ever committed, because if you miss one, yeah. you're going to go to the hot place. Goodness. Wow. I, I walked out of there, and I said, these people are nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my, my first impressions of church uh, were not good, and of course, my dad was very aggressive agnostic. Uh, I'm the oldest of four children. At the age of 19, I became a Christian. All three of my siblings followed me into Christianity, and my dad considers that, he's, he's passed away now, uh, he considers that his greatest failure. We gave up the truth. And so here you are, you're in a church that is hardly warm and fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> What came next? You became a Christian. Obviously, you had a lot of problems becoming a Christian. Yes, I did. And the church was part of the problem. The church was, I never did join that church. Never. I wonder why. I just didn't yeah. like them. I mean, a church ought to be a place where people care about you. Hmm. They ought to put their arms around you. Yeah, not tell they, you that. They ought to be happy. You know, some churches, John, look like the city morgue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a sermon called, uh, It's Not a Sin to Smile on Sabbath. It's not a sin to smile in church. <laughs> so I never did join that church. Uh, and uh, because my wife, she wasn't an Adventist, but she, she kept Sabbath. Mm. And she didn't eat pork. Mm. Uh, and my dad was a pork salesman. This was all very interesting. Goodness. And, uh, but we moved up uh, Northern California, and I went to a series of evangelistic meetings. And I heard how the Bible... Holds, Who was the preacher? Uh, Ralph Larson. And uh, I heard how the Bible holds together. I got a, gr a grasp of the prophecies. And I saw where Jesus fit into the whole thing. 
and uh, I decided that I wanted to be baptized. So you really became a, a Christian through public evangelism. That's right. To a certain extent, anyhow. That's right. And you, you got some evidence why you could uh, intellectually believe in God. Well, see, I came out of the, uh, you know, I was a teenager and high school, early college during the 1950s. Mm. And hard proof was really important back in those days. Should be today, too. Yeah. So creationism, uh, the, the, prof the prophetic scheme, something I could tie together with history, external reality outside the Bible was important for me. And that's really what crossed, helped me cross the line. Do you believe that when uh, this happened to you, you actually found Christ? Well, I would like to say that my conversion was a two-step process. Uh -huh. Now, I, I knew who Christ was, but I wouldn't want to say I had a relationship with him. You wrote a book once, and I've read it. It's an excellent book, and I, I'd recommend it to everybody watching. Um, I, I, is it a book or a sermon? I've got to think hard on this one. I, I used, used to, to be, be perfect. perfect. That's it. Uh -huh. I used to be perfect. That was a series of sermons I preached uh -huh. to the General Conference in 1992. And the uh, administrator said, this needs, oops, this needs to be published. And so I put the stuff together and... Uh, yeah. How did you get over being so perfect? Not easily. <laughs> I'll tell you how I got there, John. Uh -huh. Yeah, I tell looked, me. I looked around at the Adventists. I looked around at the other Christians around there and I looked at you preachers. And I said, none of you guys were perfect. No. And I knew why. Yeah. You hadn't tried hard enough. Ah. So by that time, I was working on structural steel out over San Francisco Bay. What were you doing there? Uh, I was a structural steel painter. Mm -hmm. And so I was up in the rigging one day, about three months after I was baptized. Uh -huh. And realizing what a mess the rest of you people were, I uh, promised God out loud that I would be the first perfectly sinless Christian since Jesus. Well done. And I knew I could do it because I was a young man of tremendous energy. And confidence. And, see, yeah, and you guys, I knew what your problem was. Uh -huh. You hadn't tried hard enough. Goodness. <laughs> That's how come you were messed up. Yeah. And it was about two months after that that I felt a call to the ministry and uh, attended uh, Pacific Union College, a little college in Northern California. Two years later, I had a call to be associate pastor in the San Francisco Central Church and would have stayed. Out, the conference president said, well, I only got two years of education. What do you need more than that for? So I was going to stay, and then all of a sudden, they were going to have a citywide crusade. And they're going to have me be the singing evangelist. So you sing too? No, I can't sing. No. No, so I went back to college. Uh, what, what, to learn to sing? <laughs> What's that? To learn to sing. Yeah, no. No. No, I'm a failure. I can't, I, I'm, I'm tone no. deaf. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you didn't talk back in those days. No. So <laughs> I figured the best way to get out of being a singing evangelist when you can't sing in a citywide crusade is to go back to college. But I felt the Lord was going to come quick, so I did in the next two years in, in one year and uh, then got out of the ministry and uh, went, to, went to Texas. And so how was your um, perfectionism going during this time? What sort of progress were you making well, in I becoming I, very perfect? I, I went through stages. I thought I was... I you were getting was, pretty perfect? I, 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 I thought I was pretty good. Pretty perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was kind of difficult to live with, though. You know, ah, yeah, yeah, you know. I wonder why. 
Yeah. Well, it's obvious. <laughs> if you're perfect, everybody else is imperfect, most yes. likely. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it, uh, it was pretty bad. And uh, finally, I came to a day of reckoning. I can still remember the day. It was March, uh, I can't remember the exact date, but it was March 1969. I'd been a, been an, uh, been a Christian for, uh, well... And an Adventist. An well, Adventist. I've been an Adventist. I wouldn't uh, want to say I was a Christian at that no, time, but, but I've been a pastor, okay? Yeah, you were a pastor. Oh, I was a pastor. Progressing towards perfection. I had perfection. three degrees in Adventist theology and Christian theology, and, and uh, I, was, I was doing great, I thought. And, uh, after, and I was pastor of a, a, a congregation down in Galveston in uh, the Texas Gulf Coast. And uh, one day I woke up and said, you know, I'm just as messed up as I used to be. Uh, I, I have this theory that there's two kinds of sins, nasty sins and vegetarian sins. Oh. Yeah. You know what the nasty, I, I left off yes. the nasty ones. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think we all know what the yeah, nasty you know, ones are. You know, thou shalt not, you know, be <clears throat> playing around with other ladies. Don't uh -huh. keep your money, keep, you know, keep your hands off yeah. other people's money. Yeah. Don't, don't bump them off. Uh, but the vegetarian sin is you're just better than other people. <laughs> Describe to me the vegetarian sin. Why do you call it a, a vegetarian sin? Well, because uh, people all over in churches practice it. You know, they've given up the nasty stuff, and now they're in church, and they think they're better than other people, you know. Well, and most of them are, are vegetarians? Well, I don't know <laughs> if they're vegetarians or not. <laughs> but what I mean is, it, it, it's, it, you know, we could call it the sin of the Pharisee. Yes. It's the sin of goodness. Yes. I'm, I'm better than you. I, I pay yeah. tithe. I do this. I do that. And uh, so I was just, you know, because the center of all sin is pride. Of course. It's, 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 it's love of yourself. And, and loving yourself in a prideful way. And if I love myself more than God, I can abuse his name, I can abuse his day. Uh, and if I love myself more than you and I'm big enough, I'll take your stuff. Mm. <laughs> so uh, a pride and self-centeredness is at the very core. And I had found out that I had moved from being a, a secular person to being a very sick church member. Uh -huh. See, I don't want to say Christian. No. No, because... A religionist. Yeah, a re you know, somebody that goes to church and maybe even preaches isn't necessarily a Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I came to a crisis point. And I remember taking out my wallet, and I was sitting at my desk in March of 1969 and getting out my ministerial credential and sending it to my conference administrator resigning from the Seventh-day Adventist ministry, going to leave Christianity, go back to my happy hedonism. And with that, I uh, went off to study philosophy for six years. And uh, Where did you do this? In Houston, isn't it? Uh, University of Houston. Uh -huh. Yeah. Tell me about this experience. Well, it was, a, it, was a, it was a good experience for me because I was still looking for the answer. So philosophy for six years. Well, yeah. And That's it had a, a long focus. Time. I was particularly interested in the philosophy of education because I wanted to get a job. Of course. <laughs> so, uh, but at the end of six years, I discovered that philosophy did not hold the answer. And that came as a shock to me. And uh, my major professor was an uh, atheist. He was an existentialist Jew. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, every day in class, he smashed religion. 
Well, if an agnostic... Every day. Yeah, if a backslidden, uh -huh. if a backslidden agnostic type pastor could have said amen, I would have said amen. But then one day I'm in his office. You were doing a doctorate? Yes. Yes. And uh, he said to me, George, he says, if I wasn't a Jew, I'd be a nobody. I said, what do you mean, Josh? You don't even like religion. <laughs> and he says, you don't understand. I belong to the community. I belong, I'm not just one of those millions of people out there. I, I belong to the Jewish community. They send me all over the world as a speaker to hold seminars. And I'm saying to myself, oh my, this guy's, this guy could be a Baptist, he could be a, he could, he could be a Catholic, he could be an Adventist. I mean, just because he's a Jew. He, and suddenly it all came together. In any religious organization, there are true believers and there are people that that is their social location. That's where they were born. And with that, another, see, I'd already come to the conclusion that philosophy was bankrupt in terms of real answers. Which it is. Yep, and now, uh -huh. I, I, Josh helped me see what I should have seen in, uh, in Matthew 13, that the good fish and the bad fish are all swimming around in the pond until the eschaton, until Jesus comes again. And that, the, that Jesus had told us that the church is going to have a lot of uh, social Christians mixed in with believers. Well, I should say social church members mm -hmm. mixed in with believing Christian church members. And then a third thing happened. A man got invited to my house, and don't tell me how, that I never wanted to see again. He was my first Bible teacher at Pacific Union College. So you knew him. You'd already sat in his class. He was my favorite teacher. You did a degree with him yeah. in theology. I did my first degree, my, yeah. my bachelor's degree. That was a big help, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he, came, he got invited to my house, spent the whole day with me, knew my problem, never said one word. He just exuded the sweet love of Jesus. And when he left, I told my wife, he has what I need. I met Jesus that day in Robert Olson, hmm. and I've never turned back. So 14 years after I got baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I became a Christian. That's my conversion story. Had you been reading your Bible? No. For six, no. For six years, I didn't read my Bible or pray. What about when you were a pastor? Did you read your Bible? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I read somewhere you're supposed to spend a thoughtful hour every day uh, in, in the life of Christ. Well, I didn't quite make a, an hour, but I, I, you know, I read it. Oh, boy, I'm going to get my 30 minutes in, my 15 minutes. I'm going to do my thing, uh, and I could read it through once a year, and I could do everything, and, and I could, I had a lot of it memorized. I mean, I was good at that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. I, I, I would have made a wonderful Pharisee back in the so old days. So you were searching the Scriptures. I was searching the <laughs> scriptures, but I'm not quite sure I had the right spirit. So from the Olson experience, where did you go? How did you, you saw a testimony for Christ in this man? It's just, but how did you find the gospel from there? Well, to tell you the truth, I had lectured on the gospel without experiencing it. <laughs> Yeah. Can you identify with some of this? Of course. Stuff? Yeah. I mean, I was teaching other people the theory of salvation. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I know all about justification, sanctification. And so you knew this? Uh, yes, uh, I knew it. 
uh -huh. but I hadn't experienced a personal relationship so with you, Jesus Christ. You hadn't had a, a revelation like Paul had. No, I, had, I hadn't met Christ on the road to Damascus. Yeah. I just had the Torah. But you were <laughs> a, a super religionist. Oh, man, I was good at it. I could imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but I was not the kind of guy you'd want to live with. Are you not too hard on yourself? No, I don't think so. So you're pretty hard on people because you were critical. I was very critical. Well, of course, if... And, if, I, and I had all the proof. You yes. know what I mean by proof? Uh -huh. Now, you preached a famous sermon. I don't think they would publish a book on this one. Oh, I bet uh, you. I, I think I know what you're going to say. Well, and I bet you I could publish this let, book on let it. Let me say it. <laughs> you preached a sermon on why I don't like Seventh-day Adventists. Well, is, that, is that the book you're... The potential book you're thinking Why of. Why I don't like Adventists. Never put the seventh day in there. Uh -huh. Yeah, and, but I had a message. Hmm. I love Christians. And if they were only Adventists, I could say a thing about Baptists, Catholics, yes, Methodists. Sure. Yeah. If they only have a denominational affiliation but mm -hmm. don't know Jesus Christ, I want loose. And so, yeah, I happen to love Christians. Adventist. Yeah. And Christian whatever denomination. Sure. Okay? Uh, but if, if, that, if all they've got is their pedigree, yeah. and they don't have Jesus... Then they're Pharisees and harsh and hard. That's right. That's right. Is it not true that so many people are turned away from Christ because of, quote-unquote, the church? Yes. Yes. Harshness, coldness. Yes. Uh, George, I've been to Russia on many occasions, and uh, 49 times actually, and we would start up churches. And uh, the reason we did this was a young preacher said, we've got to start up new churches. I'm going to whisper this. He said, so the new members are not picked to death. I can understand that. He said if they go to an old church, the odds are they're going to be picked to death. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do, 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 cock-a-doodle-doo, yeah. and you're not doing enough. You know, this is a problem among most conservative uh, denominations. Well, all churches. Yeah. Not just Adventists. Yeah. And uh, you know, Nietzsche. Yes. Uh, Nietzsche, Frederick the great Nietzsche. atheistic uh, philosopher. Yes, of course. Once said, "The best argument against Christianity the is Christians. Christians." Yes. Well, I've paraphrased it. The best argument against Adventism is Adventists. Mm -hmm. well, I could say Baptist is Baptist, sure. Catholics is Catholics. You know. And you are so tactful. It just happens that that's, that's what I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and you know, I I, I can I can vouch for that. Uh, that's one reason I never joined that first church. I won't even tell you where it is. <laughs> mm. Well, there's plenty like that, I'm afraid. That's right. That's it right. It might have been a church anywhere down the road. Anywhere. I'm going to tell you, John. Yeah. The church I belong to now is a one. We. we we love each other. Uh -huh. I, I preached there a year ago, January, on worship. You know, usually we preach the vertical. Hmm. I preached on the horizontal. Mm -hmm. What is supposed to happen to you during worship? And, uh, and, and I told the people very frankly, you know, when I first came here, I was offended because you stand here in the sanctuary and you talk for a half an hour. And after a while, I said, no. That's these, good. These, these people have uh -huh. met Jesus here and they're sharing his love in the sanctuary for a half an hour. They don't want to go home. That's what worship is all about. Tell it's not me, just 
up there, it's... Uh, tell me this, uh, because we've got lots of folks watching around the world, uh, and we're glad you've joined us today. And our guest is Dr. George Knight. Tell me in just a, a, f a few words, the heart of it, what is Christianity? What is it to become a Christian? Oh, to become a Christian is to fall in love with Jesus. <laughs> and why do I love Jesus? Because he gave everything for me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him might have everlasting life. Jesus, you know, the gospel, we short circuit the gospel sometimes. Uh, sometimes I preach on the gospel in the book of Revelation. The gospel in the book of Revelation, you ask somebody what the gospel is, they'll say, oh, uh, saved by grace. And they probably mean justified by grace. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, mm. did Je oh, that Jesus died for me. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. I got ahead of myself. Mm -hmm. That Jesus died for me. Is that good news? Mm -hmm. Well, not really. What good's a dead savior? Mm -hmm. So over in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, Paul says, I want to tell you about the gospel, that Jesus died mm. for us. And he was raised, raised the third day. on the third day. According to the scriptures. But you know, that's not the whole gospel. Uh -huh. I mean, that happened 2,000 years ago. And babies are still dying of cancer. People are still committing wars and all kinds of atrocities. There's more to the gospel than that. It's what I call the gospel according to the book of Revelation. And that is Jesus is coming again to rescue us mm -hmm. from this mess. Mm -hmm. And so the, the gospel is many faceted, but uh, three things for sure. Jesus died, he resurrected, because he resurrected, I'm gonna resurrect if I believe in him and, and have a news. relationship with yeah. him. And number three, he's coming again good. to take me out of this mess. Good news indeed. From this experience, from the Great Awakening, where did you go? Well, actually, I, uh, I wanted to go work for the church, and I wanted to do something that I wanted to do. I, you know, I'd always wanted to teach in the university and stuff like that, and I thought, oh, having a doctorate, oh, that's wonderful. Then I found out, and I got there, and I found out that all those people had problems just like everybody else's. So I wanted to go teach up in a two-teacher school up in the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> what mountains? Uh, oh, Rockies, uh, you know, the Cascades, yeah. Sierra, any yeah. place. But I just wanted to be with young people and, uh, and, and work with them. I happen to like young people. You know, the, you know, the generation uh, uh, thing is that, uh, you know, you work with older people, sometimes it's like they got cement poured in their head. Uh, <laughs> not all of them, mm -hmm. but with young people, they're still quite malleable. Mm -hmm. And I've always, so that's what I wanted to do and have a ministry teaching, just small classrooms of young people. Up in the mountains. Up in the mountain. Uh -huh. uh, that's, uh, that's what I wanted to do, but God had a different idea. Yeah. Uh, today, our guest is Dr. George Knight, and we'll be back in just a few moments. One point three billion people live in India. Two hundred million of these are Dalits. Dalits, formerly called untouchables, are the lowest members of the caste system. 
100% of your gift will go to fund projects for daylit girls as an alternative to slavery and prostitution. Your gift of $600 will educate, clothe, and feed one daylit girl between 5 and 15 years of age for one year. Go to carterreport.org or to the address on the screen to send your gift of $600 and change the life of one Indian daylit girl for one full year. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.